Welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky, and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm excited to introduce you to Chris Mormon of Grace Capital City. He's led Grace Capital City to be one of the fastest growing churches in Washington, D.C. They planted the church in 2015, and he's seen God bless them with amazing growth since that time. Chris shares a bunch of helpful tips about creating culture and embracing millennials, young working professionals in his church. I think there's a lot that you can take away from this. And also stay posted for some follow-up commentary after the interview is over. So you pastor um, a, a church that's related to other churches that are in Atlanta, and it's called Grace. Is it Grace Church or Grace Fellowship? So our, our church is called Grace Capital City up here in Washington, D.C. Um, we call the family of churches the Grace Family of Churches. Um, there are seven Grace churches, and it started in the suburbs of Atlanta. Do you, do you want me to give you kind of yeah. a quick family yes. story? Great. Yeah, it was started by a man named Buddy Hoffman in, I think it was 1983. He planted in a suburb called Snellville, which is a little bit of an unfortunate name, but it's a great place, good people in Snellville. And uh, it was just kind of a, a local church. It, it, it grew quite a lot to two, 3,000 people. And then they started really starting to explore church planting. The, the first plant church, sorry, first church they planted um, within 2006, and it was in downtown Atlanta called Grace and Midtown, and th- that's the church I pastored at for about seven years. Uh, it's a, it was an old dying Baptist church. I invited Buddy Hoffman and some of the elders and leaders to come down and really revitalize, and they ended up kind of, um, kind of really um, breathing some energy into it. It's located near a bunch of the big universities downtown. It was uh, located near the largest mosque in the southeast. Um, so a huge Muslim population, which is real close to Buddy's heart to be able to share the gospel with Muslims. And um, they just recognized the strategic importance of the location and said, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. And so 2006, there was a group of about 20 of them, a worship leader named Aaron Keys, who was Buddy's kind of worship guy. And they would come down together and lead worship. And it, it just kind of slowly grew they really focused on discipleship and worship and um the church now you know they have about 1500 or so um that they run on a sunday and so since then there's now seven grace churches uh we were the seventh one six of them are in the georgia area um and then we're the only one that's outside of georgia and so we 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 relate as we, we call them churches not campuses intentionally because there is a certain level of autonomy between the churches. Um, we share a lot of common DNA in terms of theology and mission, and we do share some resources as well. Um, but we also allow each church to kind of really incarnate into their missional space. So, you know, a church in Washington, D.C. is going to look very different to a church in Monroe, Georgia, or Athens, Georgia, or Snellville. And it should look different as well because you reach kinds of people. So, um, there, there are some key similarities amongst the churches, but, you know, all, you know, in all seven of them, you would feel, you know, pretty different as well in each of them. Wow. Okay. And so pastoring in Atlanta for seven years and then moving up here, um, what, what led you to make that, 
change? Yeah. Um, I mean, short answer, Holy Spirit. Um, Longer, longer answer. uh, You know, I I was the associate pastor there for about seven years of that dad. And it's a great, what, you know, just a beautiful season of our life. My wife was doing her doctorate at Georgia Tech and we had a sense that um, we were going to be in a city where both of our careers and ministries could thrive. So she really sees science as a rural ministry for her, a rural mission field. And so she was getting to the end of that doctorate and realizing that in Atlanta, there weren't a lot of opportunities for her and some opportunities started opening up in DC. And so that was kind of our first sense to start praying about, well, we've always had this vision of grace to plant churches in some of the big international cities around uh, the United States. Uh, what if we're the ones that do it? And to be completely honest with you, I, I was that guy that I was like, man, I will, I will cheer people on to go and do it. And I will even give my money and my time and my prayer and my encouragement, but I do not want to be the guy that's leading a team up into DC. And so when we started praying, I was very resistant. Um, but God really did a work on my heart. You know, I, I often say I, I was like Gideon in a sense that I had to pull the fleece out multiple times for God to really speak um, again and again. And we came up to DC and just started to get a sense of energy around the place and a sense of what God wanted to do and the kind of church uh, we felt called to plant. And so really it was 12 months of discernment and prayer and, you know, trusted counsel and visiting DC um, before we finally said yes to doing that and so grace midtown was was our sending church really grace churches but specifically grace midtown and um we we left grace midtown with a team of about 15 people from that church who came with us um, to help plan out a new, a new church in dc wow. so i mean those 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 men and women were my absolute and still are my absolute heroes you know they they leveraged everything to choose um, you know, the kingdom of God over their own comfort and convenience and over what, you know, it's, it's more comfortable to live in Atlanta a lot of the times, certainly cheaper, a lot of bad family and things that they were uprooting, but they said, we want to help be a part of getting this new thing going. And so when we started meeting as a launch team in DC, there were 11 of us in a living room the first time we met and, um, you know, by God's grace, we kind of grew from there. So, uh, it was, it was a long journey in some ways, um, and, and not a journey that I didn't, I'm really honest, didn't run from at different times. But God, God, I experienced the patience of God in all of it. <laughs> okay, so in the, so you um, were pastoring or you're participating in this other church for seven years. You're resisting this um, or, or questioning this idea of, of going to a major city and you being the one to lead that. And yet, from everything I've heard, you're one of the fastest growing or the fastest growing church in D.C. Um, you've experienced a lot of fruitfulness. Um, and how long ago did you guys plant the church? Yeah, so we had our launch in uh, September 2016, so a little over two years ago. Wow. Wow. And so what were some of the things that you, you brought 15 people with you? What were some of the other mm-hmm. strategic things that you did? How long did, when you moved, how long from when you moved up and relocated to when you launched? What kind of launch strategy yeah. did you have? Yeah, um, 
let's see. We, I mean, we, we had about a year. We, we moved up in August 2015, launched um, September 2016. You know, I, I think our, our strategy was to focus on the majors and try not to get too caught up in kind of other things like really good things, you know, extra ministries that we could start, but to really focus hard on the things that, that we wanted to be really central to, to our church. Um, and to kind of start to build culture through that. And so we, we have three core values, worship, family, justice. Um, and we wanted our church to be a really vibrant worshiping community. And so, you know, right from the beginning, we're trying to create avenues and vehicles and expressions of worship, places for people to worship, just to let people know as they were coming into the launch team and the launch team was growing, uh, like this is, this is who we are. This is one of our values. Um, we launched what we call house churches, um, essentially missional communities is another name people use for them, but kind of mid-sized communities. We decided initially not to do smaller discipleship groups, but to go slightly bigger. And so we launched three of those about six months into our launch team. And I think that was kind of catalytic in, in growing because what it did is it all of a sudden raised up another level of leader. It kind of like another tier of leaders in the community who weren't just showing up to launch team to figure out how they could, you know, give them money and stack chairs. But they were like, hey, I, I'm getting a vision for a, for a house church that I'm launching in the Capitol Hill area. Um, I've got friends that I can invite to that. And with, when, with increased ownership, you get increased growth. It happens every time. If, if we can figure out a way to, to help people really walk in the priesthood of all believers, then they're just going to pull more into it than they would if they just feel like they're just, you know, carrying out someone else's, um, steps for them, mm. you know. So we tried to give people a vision for that, and then to also give them permission to um, start to vision for their own community. You know? yeah. So we launched three house churches in June of 2016, I think it was. I think that was really important. The the other thing that we did that I think was um, really helpful, it was stressful at the time, and I look back and I'm like, man, would I do it again that way or not? But I do think it was part of the reason we grew, is we had um, a few apprentices come up really early and they they were basically apprenticing for a church that didn't even fully exist yet so we were still in the kind of launch team phase and we had five of these young men and women all of them had come from grace midtown so there was something about the flavor of grace midtown that we were like i want to be this kind of church i want to be a vibrant worshiping community i want to have a missional edge in culture and i want to be teaching uh through the scriptures faithfully uh, for revelation and for discipleship. So a lot of the, the kinds of intangibles you feel in a community, you can't teach someone. What I've experienced is you have to find people who carry it intuitively and then let them infiltrate in your community. And so we had these five apprentices come up and half of their job assignment was like, just be like the best versions of yourself in the community. Mm. And I, I know that sounds like, what does that even mean? It's so intangible, you know. But what I, what I knew was, especially when our team was only, you know, 30 people or 20 people or 40 people or 50 people, you know, you put five really attractive guys and girls in there. And by attractive, I don't mean physically. I just mean like people that are like, hey, I want to be around these guys and girls, you know. Um, they're going to draw other people to themselves. They're, they're going to start communities. They're going to start infiltrating the culture and creating the culture that you want. I mean, they are literally culture carriers. 
Yeah. And so those five were really important, I think, in launching the church the way we wanted it to launch. And once you get some momentum, then other people start to catch up of, of like, oh, this is who, this is what Grace Capital City is about. This is the kind of place um, it wants to be, and I can get on board with that. So I think that was really important, sharing leadership, um, sharing ownership, maybe it's, it's a different way to say it, um, while still maintaining a clear sense of vision and direction and value. And then also allowing people who carry the culture intuitively to really infiltrate and influence your community. I think th- those are a few big things. That's really good. Can I go back to the, um, the house churches? You said that these three house churches, um, that through that, people took on a sense of ownership. Can you explain that better? What did that look like? How did you start those groups? Were you leading them? How did how did ownership go from yours and like the few people that came with you over to people in the house church? Yeah, no, good question. Um, and and this is a similar model when I was leading the college ministry at Grace Midtown, which is, you know, we we had ministries at about seven or eight different campuses in the Atlanta area, and we realized. When students led the ministries, they were way more likely to invest in a, in a deep level than if they were just coming to an event that you put on for them. And you got to be careful with that because that's it can be messy, it can be inconsistent. You have to disciple and shepherd and bring accountability. But the fruit of it is that instead of just raising up consumers, you raise up leaders, right? You raise up people who know how to like execute a vision, who know how to evangelize and invite their friends and start the vision for a community and take responsibility for it. You know, I think you really raise the bar. And so a similar kind of model, we weren't working at, that, at least at that stage with college students, but, you know, mainly kind of young adults and millennials is at halfway through, we were essentially operating as one house church. And we kind of thought, well, rather than staying in this way, let's, let's make our, start to make our Sunday gatherings, which was still launch team at that stage, but start to make them feel more like a, a service, like a teaching and worship and that stuff. And, and find leaders that have a vision to reach other people in their, in their communities. Um, and so, you know, you, you gotta, it's gotta be high character people, you know, you can't just give away ownership and vision to anyone, you know, people you trust, people who are willing to come under the spiritual covering of the church, people who are open to accountability. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be some of your best, you know, but when you do that, you, you, you want to see things happen for the church that you have nothing to do with. Mm. I, I remember the day I realized there was a, a group of young adults at a, a church. This is maybe eight or nine months in. And uh, they were, there was like a party going on. I think it was a Halloween party or something like that. And they organized it and they were inviting a ton of people and all their friends from work and yeah. all their friends from church and all their friends. And I looked at it and I didn't think I was even invited, but I had, not only, not only did I have nothing to do with organizing it, I wasn't even invited, and I didn't feel offended. I felt ecstatic. I was like, this thing is growing beyond me because they feel like they own it, so they're going to invest in it, you know? And that's what you want it, when it's at that stage where you have to run everything. You know, your church is never going to grow beyond 50 or 60 or 70. Um, so I think, yeah giving away some of that ownership, but then still offering heavy accountability yeah. is really important. Awesome. Okay. So, um, I'm just comparing what you're saying to, to my own setting and I've got, I've got, I, I'm just like right there. I feel like I was just talking with some of my team, they're young adults. They're doing their own hangout time. 
I, I'm realizing after the fact that they hung out, that they're in a group. And um, it's a great sign, man. It's a great sign. Yeah, I, it's encouraging to me. Are, are you taking and um, molding or shaping or pushing towards mission, or are you just like letting it go organically and just seeing kind of where it ends up? Because you've got obviously a house church sounds organized and in a direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of like how much of a hand do you have in um, giving input to these attractive people that are moving on their own organically with the work? Yeah, yeah. What's that quote, you know, if, if you give someone a, teach them to love the sea, like if you want someone to build a boat, like don't teach them about the word and the maps and the plans, like teach them to love the sea and they'll mm-hmm. figure out how to build a boat. You know, I know I'm absolutely yeah watching the quote but you know the one i mean yes, yes. and the whole idea is like with people you don't necessarily need to a lot of the time teach them step by step what you want to do is inspire them with the the narrative and the, the grander picture of what you're inviting them into awesome and people are smarter than you think young adults know how to reach young adults better than you do and it doesn't mean they don't need shepherding and guidance along the way but i think in churches a lot of the time we we kill the creative energy out of people because we feel like we have to control it step by step and a lot of the time we think we have to control it because we're afraid of mess you know or we're afraid something's going to happen at a house church meeting that's out of line or you know across the boundary and it's like that stuff's going to happen and, and I'm not saying that's okay. You have to address things. You have to offer accountability. But man, usually if there's no mess, there's no life. Mm. And if you have a bit of mess at a healthy level, it's a good sign there's some life and some energy in your church. And young adults, millennials will, will mess it up. Absolutely, like all of us will. Mm. But um, man, if they, if they get a vision for it, they'll really go after it too. Yeah. I mean, some of the, most of the best young adults, I mean, house church leaders we have have been young people, millennials, you know. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. So you're just giving permission and then casting a vision, telling a grand story that that they find a place in. And then and then consistent coaching along the way mm. is important. Wow. And, and coaching, we have to realize is coaching doesn't need to look like step-by-step is exactly what you need to do, although sometimes that might be helpful. Coaching usually is more about support and helping them arrive at the conclusion that's best for their house church. So if they're trying to think through, well, what what could mission look like for my community? You're not telling them, hey, here's five things that mission needs to look like for your community. What you do is you're helping them flesh out who is your community? Who are the people you're trying to reach? Where are those people? What are the natural rhythms? You know what I mean? You're asking the right questions right. to help them arrive at a place where they still feel like, hey, I, we created this. We have a plan for the next six months. We've got some rhythms uh, for our community that are going to be engaging. We can invite non-Christians to it. Um, you know, we can kind of do that up in and out stuff. Um, yeah. And, but you, you're not just like laying it out to them step by step. You're helping them arrive at those conclusions. Wow. Wow. So um, in your work with, um, in the DC area with millennials, young working professionals, what, um, what are those rhythms? Like, what does it look like for them to come to Christ? What, what's touching their heart, I guess, in um, drawing them to be a part of the church? And then what does discipleship look like for them? Um, I mean, the reasons for people participating in church, you know, 
pretty varied. Um, there's various of people. Um, I think I think there's a profound sense of loneliness in D.C. I think people come and they experience a, a pace of life and a a, um, a hunger for power and ambition and things like that that can be off-putting and can be very isolating. And so I think a lot of people end up connecting with house churches or with a, a church in general simply because they're looking for friends and they're looking for like you know, some people that will see them as more than just like, how can I use this person to, to network further ahead or something like that? Um, so I think that that's one reason. I can think like anything, like um, when, when people experience like the brokenness of the world, then they're more likely to, to further their own search for purpose and meaning, which is such a ideal time for the gospel to intersect, right? When someone's realizing like, hey, I can't do this on my own. And I got to D.C. and I thought that when I became this person or got this promotion, then I'd be satisfied. And then I'm experiencing that that's not the case. Where do I find purpose? Where do I find meaning? I think that's that's been a place we've seen a lot of fruit where you can actually speak um, a greater sense of purpose and meaning yeah. into them. Yeah, um, in, in regard to discipleship, you know, that's something we're still kind of figuring out. I mean, I think for all the exciting things that happen in our church, we, we, we lack older generation people, which is something we're praying about. We're praying for more spiritual mothers and fathers. And so I think we've had to redefine discipleship for a, a lot of people because we have this ideal situation where it's like, oh, I'm going to find uh, an older woman or an older man mentor, and they're going to walk with me consistently for the next years of my life. And you know, it's going to be this ideal thing I'll learn from this sage of the faith. You know? And then you get to a church where it's like hundreds of millennials and college students and only a handful of families. And you realize like the ones, the older people that are there, their calendars get filled up pretty quick. So we've had to talk a lot more about um, peer-to-peer discipleship as well and what accountability and mentoring can look like in that space. And I think there is, you know, I think there's real growth and fruit that can come out of that model. I think the other thing we've realized with discipleship is that in a city that's as busy and as transient as DC is, the, the more programmatic you can make your discipleship pathways, the, the better. Um, I think that there's always this ideal scenario where discipleship is super organic and it's just life on life and we're just, we're getting coffee or we have a standing breakfast date you know, once every two weeks for like now until Jesus comes back. And in D.C., that's just not going to happen for the most part. Like people are here for a year or they're here for three years or they're working 80 hours a week, you know. And so you got to be like, all right, if you want to grow, you want an opportunity to be shaped, be challenged, spiritual formation, growth, like here here it is. Jump in, eight-week turbo course, 6.30 a.m., be there. If you mean it, be there. And just let people then choose if they want to be part of it or not. You know, there's, there's part of me that, like, shies away from the programmatic, but I think we've had to learn that actually that's life-giving in this kind of culture. Interesting. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's wind up. Just want to um, ask you one last question, then I'll ask you for your, um, also for your contact information that how people can kind of view what you're doing. Um, but what, what resources have shaped you and most influenced you? Um. I mean, some of Tim Keller's stuff was huge early on. Uh, I think it's Center Church is the one we read together. Is that right? Center Church. Um, Peter Scazzaro, uh, Emotionally Healthy Church is huge. And then he has Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Both of those were really important um, in terms of church planning and trying to create a culture that's life-giving. 
Um, personally, my theology, you know, I've been really shaped by like the writings of Dallas Willard, um, the Divine Conspiracy, some of that stuff, some of that real like like kingdom kingdom theology, um, and kind of shaping values for a church around the present reality of the kingdom on earth, trying to live into that, that future prophetic reality. That's the stuff, that's the kind of stuff, you know, that, that I tend to read. So, Yeah, that's great. Um, how could people view what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we, have, we have a church website. Most churches do grace, capital city.com. We spell capital with an A just in case you're wondering the capital with an A refers to the capital city capital with an O refers to the capital building just in case you're ever wondering but gracecapitalcity.com we, we also um, we recorded a, a worship album um, released earlier this year and um, so you can look up on YouTube Capital City Music or on Spotify Capital City Music and um, there's a bunch of songs a lot of them original cool. a lot of people from our worship team and we recorded that and that, we did that on our year anniversary just kind of an expression of what God had done Mm. the first year of our church. So, yeah, we'd love you. Anyone to check us out. And you're on social media. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that stuff. Yeah, you can check us out on that too. We will link all that stuff up in the show notes. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd love to have you back sometime in the future to talk about um, expressions of worship. Um, You had mentioned that early on in your bio that you wanted to be a gathering, expressions of worship. And uh, so hopefully we can do that in the future, talk more about what that looks like. Yeah, we'd love to be honored. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me, Josh. Okay, Clint Clifton, we have listened to Chris Mormon. What were some of your takeaways? Yeah, well, I mean, let's not overlook the uh, accent. I mean, it's it's 50% of how cool he is. That's right. I mean, I think if there's like a, if I'm being t- tongue-in-cheek and I'm like, the things that would really make your church plan take off, I mean... It was not a bad idea to invest in some accent work, you know. Make totally. sure you go live somewhere else for a while. One hundred percent. I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, I'm. You know, Chris. Chris emphasized a lot of the same things that um, are emphasized in lots of planting circles that I I'm in, but he he just voiced them in a way that was a little little unique. Um, an example of that would be, you talked about shepherding in there. You talked about caring for the people in your church and figuring out how to disciple them specifically. And he just voiced it in a way that was a little bit different. He was talking about how his congregation, the demographic of his congregation is young because of that. He's got to figure out peer to peer discipleship in a way that normally, um, he wouldn't think about. And I just, I was just challenged, you know, by hearing him say like, you know, essentially putting putting words in his mouth a little bit. I, he's figuring out, given his situation, given his context, what he's got to do to make sure that people are being discipled. Even the fact that he was, he talked about the sort of six thirty discipleship mm. intensive, right. as opposed to just yeah. saying no. You know, saying to busy people, you need to prioritize discipleship. So that means you got to be here at this time to say no. I'm going to build discipleship around them. Those are things that. I've intuitively done in my context because we have a transit. I'm in a transient context. I'm in a military context. So those guys are up early. They're going to PT early in the morning. They're, they're doing all of that, that. So if you're going to disciple them, they're willing. Some of them are willing, but you just gotta, you gotta accommodate their schedule or it's just almost impossible. It's like availability is such Mm. an issue. So Mm. 
I just thought it was practical. That was good. I, I like the part where he says he found these 20 young adults yeah. and he's like, just be the best Christian, version of you. Be, yeah. Best version of you. Yeah. That was great too. Yeah. Yeah. I, it reminded me of this. I have this friend named Brian O'Day. Who's a, who's a church planter. He's a Marine and a church planter in North Carolina. And he talks about the different in the military as a military officer, you're trained, um, in warfare, the different, and they use this analogy of the difference between football, American football and, and football worldwide soccer, essentially. Right. Right. So he, he talks about how an American football, you know, what, what's the coach doing? Well, the coach is standing up with his clipboard, throwing it on the ground, screaming, run the play, run the play, run the play. I told you what to do and you went out there and you didn't do it. You know, he's frustrated the whole time because of that, where the soccer coach is kind of sitting down on the sidelines. He's sort of not paying attention a whole lot. Periodically, he might get up and say something, but he's very relaxed, comparatively speaking. Why is he relaxed? Well, he's relaxed because all he did was teach fundamentals. The play moves too fast. He can't tell the guy what to do on the field, so he can only teach fundamentals and mm-hmm. hope for the best. So, in Chris, when Chris was talking about that sort of ocean analogy that he couldn't, he couldn't quite put his finger on about right. uh, uh, don't teach a guy to build a boat, teach him to love the ocean, sort of thing. Uh, I, I was thinking of that. I think there's so much truth to that. I think if if we spend our time in discipleship on working on the core stuff, that the, the combination of the Holy Spirit taking those things and manifesting themselves in the unique way that that believer might express it um, is so much better than anything we could pre-program or try to duplicate from our lives, the Spirit's work in our own lives. So I loved that part and just thought, man, that is what's unique about Chris's ministry. Because I have actually been to Grace Midtown. I saw, I saw Chris in action in Atlanta. And what's going on in D.C. I remember walking out of there in Atlanta knowing Chris was coming to D.C. and I basically thought to myself that can't happen in D.C. Mm. And and I, I think I was right. It hasn't happened in D.C. But but something really good about that is existing in a D.C. version now. Wow. So, yeah, I think I was thinking then more he's going to try to duplicate this. But fortunately... He took the good of that, the core of that, the kind of ethos of that, and and was smart enough to recognize it's going to look different here. Mm. Great. Thanks for tuning in to the Church Planting Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Mm-hmm.